Jesus Christ, and we trust by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit to worship the triune Jehovah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as uh, we realize from that uh, hymn, which is soundly based in Scripture, uh, that this is not a coincidence, this is not by chance, but this is by the great providence of God. It was our God, who, the God who created the world, who planned the world, uh, ordained that there should be a night like this in Hailsham, where such as we should be gathered here to worship. 
Uh, and sometimes it's beyond us. Most times it's beyond us. We can't even think about it. We can't comprehend it. It's beyond our understanding. Uh, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, should plan and, plan and ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And then in time and space, he brings about that plan. He executes his design for his honor and his glory and his praise. All things uh, are unto thee, O Lord. And we, what are we? Little creatures, dust of the earth, feeble as frail. And yet it pleases thee to set thy love even for such as we. Again we're amazed. Uh, we have no worth of ourselves, no merit of ourselves. There's nothing in us of ourselves that would commend us to you. All we have that we own completely of ourselves is our sin. And yet, O oh Lord, in Christ you chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be your children. You adopted into the very family of God. And oh, we bless you for that. We bless you for the privilege. We who know you as Lord and God. We who know the Lord Jesus as Savior. We who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We bless you and praise you for this grace. Amazing grace. Wondrous grace. Wonderful grace. made known to sinners such as we. And we come and worship we come, O oh Lord, in the midst of our lives day by day, and uh, some of them are, are topsy-turvy at the moment, some of them are, uh, have, uh, we are having difficulties and trials, and everything seems to be out of the ordinary, out of kilter, as we might say. And yet even in these things, you're still God. You haven't lost control, and you haven't lost control of anything. The world is in chaos. Nations are in chaos. Uh, there seems to be a horrendous mess throughout the world, and particularly at this time in our own country. But you're still God, and you're still sovereign, and you know what's about. And each day is but fulfilling your sovereign plan. And for your people, each day is part of the path which you have foreordained for them. Oh, Lord, that we might realize this, at our times in thy hands, and Lord, we wish them there. We are so glad that you have ultimate control. If it were left to ourselves, where would we be? What a mess we'd be in. We make enough of mess of it as it is. Uh, if we were left entirely to do our own thing and go our own way. But Lord, we thank you. Your hand is upon your people. And you will lead us and you will guide us for your glory. And for our ultimate good. Sometimes we can't see that. We're very dim in our eyesight spiritually. Uh, we only can see what is temporal and fleeting and at the moment. We have difficulty seeing the long view. The eternal view. That all these things are working together for good to them that love the Lord. Who are the called according to his purpose. And you have a grand scheme. A grand design where whereby you will ultimately bring all your people to yourself in glory. And we will be conformed to the image of your Son. And we shall see him and be like him. Hallelujah. So we pray, Father, that as we go through these days, for some difficult, tough days, just be with us and grant us quiet assurance as we commit ourselves 
unto thee. We, we are told to commit our way unto the Lord, to rest in him, to acknowledge him in all our paths, and he will direct our ways. And so we do that. And so we do that. There are some, for some, there are big days ahead, some big decisions, some big things going on. Lord, just lead and guide. And granted that, that quiet assurance that I'm a heavenly father knows all about this. It hasn't taken him by surprise. He knows every single thing. Uh, the Lord Jesus could say, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He could say that your heavenly father clothes the lily of the field. Your heavenly father cares for the sparrows. How insignificant they are in the grand, great scheme of things. These little sparrows. You could buy the, uh, two a penny almost and get extra one if you buy four. Uh, what, how insignificant they are. Unless, unless, that your fa- unless your father knows about them and knows when each one falls. Oh, Lord, the great God of the universe and the cosmos and the great God of the sparrows and our God. And our Father, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we prayed that you would bless us this evening, draw near to us. I pray for those who would normally be with us uh, tonight, and they're not with us. We know not why. They weren't with us this morning. But Lord, you know, and we commit them tenderly to thee. Bless and encourage you people, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Let's sing again. Number 581, an old favorite of some of us, I'm sure, based on Paul's words to Timothy. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, nor why, unworthy as I am, he claimed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 581.
Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and the first chapter. So the second Corinthians chapter. Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, my brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Asia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them who are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, uh, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, uh, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver, in whom we trust he will yet deliver us. He also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our Dear Saviour, Thou art mine, how sweet the thought to me. Let me repeat Thy name and lift my heart to Thee. Mine, 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 I know Thou art mine. Saviour, dear Saviour, I know Thou art mine. Five hundred.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Father, we come again to your word. and We always acknowledge it is your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible, inerrant, and it's for our instruction, it's for our well-being spiritually, it's for us, each one this night. We pray that we will be helped by the Holy Spirit to understand that which was written by the Apostle Paul so long ago under the guidance, we believe, of the Spirit. And that we've been enabled to apply that word to our own hearts and lives for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our text this evening is a phrase in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When the Apostle says, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. The whole verse reads thus, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And I want to start a look at this this evening, and God willing, in the months to follow, uh, we look at it a bit further, and the context and so forth. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Paul's letters to the Corinthians. We have one and two Corinthians. Some think it was a third letter, which has got lost, um, but we have preserved for us the first letter and the second letter. And they're quite different letters. Uh, the first letter of the Corinthians, uh, he tells us himself why he's written, because there were so many things wrong with this church at Corinth. It was just manic, crazy. And there were so many things that needed to be sorted out, needed to be put right. Uh, he had reports from them. They themselves had written to him. And he was trying to sort the whole mess out. So it's, it's quite uh, a strict and a strong tone. It's like the headmaster telling them off. This is wrong and that is wrong. You need to see about that. You need to sort that out. And bang, 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 bang. Now, some of us have been in that position, haven't we? off by the headmaster and others um, and this is you get that impression and you need to remember always of course that he's doing that not because not just because he's, he's so cross with them but it's for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God he's not saying now listen here I'm the boss or I'm the big man I'm the apostle and you need to know what I know and you need to do what I do and you need to be told this because I am telling you it's not that Here's a man, a preacher, a missionary, who is a pastor, who loves these people and is concerned for their well-being. And so he writes these things. You need to sort this out. Your worship is all over the place. And the personality clashes. And, all kinds of, and even the Lord's table is wrong. You know, even that which is most precious to the people. Well, it's all over the place. So he writes all these things. But then when you come to the second epistle, it's quite different seems that many of the things have been sorted and perhaps they've almost gone to the extreme of sorting some of these things out he said no listen no 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 you've gone a little bit too far there I know I told you to sort it out but you've gone a bit over the top there you need just to be a bit more careful a bit more forgiving or whatever and there's much more of Paul's experience in this epistle he writes as a man who's lived this life and has been through the things through which we go and he, he's not ashamed to say it. 
and if you remember, on the first Sunday, uh, we looked at that great passage where uh, Paul says, I, be, I had this thorn in the flesh. I cried to God for deliverance. Uh, it was, was a hindrance. It was pulling me down and pulling me back. And I cried three times, three occasions, pleaded with God. And God said, nope, I'm not going to take it from you. I'm not going to let you carry on with it. But I will give you my grace. And my grace will be sufficient for you. And then Paul realizes, wow, isn't this great? Here I am, I'm weak in myself. But in the Lord, I can be strong. I can be victorious. I can be an overcomer. So I'll rejoice in my weakness. When I am, when I am weak, then I am strong. And so on. And in this epistle, he's if I can say it carefully, he's much more human. He goes through troubled times and difficulties. And he's so unlike some of the, what I call the polished professionals these days in, in the church. You know, he, he, he's, he's shipwrecked. He's beaten. He's let down in a basket outside the walls. And he's stoned. And he's in peril in the seas and peril in the earth. And peril. He's, he's had a rough time. There's a real man who has gone through real experiences. So you don't go to Paul and say, Oh, Paul, you know, I've gone through this and I've gone through that. You're saying, What? What? You had a cold so you couldn't come to church? What? You, you, you had a puncture on the way and, and so uh, you thought you'd go back home? Get it fixed. Walk. Uh, what? And then he'd be worse. You know, he's been through as much as, if not more, than anybody could ever go through. Now, <coughs> which makes this all the more acceptable, particularly when it talks about comfort in trials and difficulties. And that's going to really be our theme. You can take it from this man. It's difficult to take these things from somebody who's never been through it. I'm not just I'm not saying they can't help you, right? Not everybody can experience everything that's out there. But if he's been through something similar, you'll give him a hearing, won't you? If a man's had difficulty at home, difficulty at work, and you go to him and say, no, I've got a problem at home, I've got a problem at work. He said, well, you know, I know what you mean. I've been there. I've been through that. And the Lord helped me. And the Lord was gracious. The Lord brought me through. And you feel encouraged then. You think, well, yes, it's not just... Uh, airy fairy pie in the sky this really works this gospel works in its outworkings so uh, that encourages me I confess it really encourages me as I read these things now a little bit of introduction there the first couple of verses verse 1 and 2 an introduction as per usual you know, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God Timothy and there's a little phrase there I'll just underline for you unto the church of God which is at Corinth the church of God. It's God's church. It's not our church. It's not your church. It's my, not my church. It's God's church. God instituted this church. God brought the church at Corinth into being. With all its faults and failings and mistakes and all the rest, of it, it was God who brought it together. It was Christ who died for this church. 
It was the Holy Spirit who convicted and converted and brought the men and women to Christ in this church. This belongs to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is God's church. And we may say, without being kind of proud or anything like that, that the little church at Hailsham, Gordon Road, Evangelical Church, is God's church. It's not your church, it's not my church, though we may belong. It's God's church. It belongs to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. The church of God. And then here, introduction, grace be due and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, and then he comes to his three, and this is where we're going to start properly. First of all, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Little introduction to God. Blessed be God. Who is this God? Well, he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Actually, Colin, we know that. Well, thank God you do. So you should. But you need to be reminded. Almost every single day you need to be reminded that this God, this creator, sustainer, this great God who one day will judge the whole world, this God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is his Son. And this, this wonderful relationship between this father and this son. And you can read all about it, particularly in John's Gospel. It's glorious and it's wonderful. Alas, we don't think uh, so much as we ought about this relationship. If we talk about relationship, it's normally our relationship with the Lord Jesus, our relationship with the Father. But the most important relationship in the Bible is that between the Father and the Son. That comes first. That's foremost. And in the great sovereign grace of God, we are brought into that relationship. We are brought into that union. But we start with God and the Son and the covenant they had, one with the other. And thank God that covenant involves you and me if we are believers. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe and trust in him, he becomes our Father. When you pray, says Jesus to the disciples, this is what you say. You say, our Father, not the Father, our Father, your Father, my Father, our Father. And you pray to him. And he's as much as your Father as he is my Father. You think about that. You think about that. In the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Son, God is as much as a father to us as he is to him. I'll, I'll show you that a little bit later. So here's this introduction. <clears throat> and then he's the father of mercies. He's the father of mercies. Now, mercy is a great word. It's a great Bible word. It's uh, Old Testament, New Testament. But there are different uh, meanings to the English word mercy. Uh, this particular word here means compassion pity right that's the thought here this use this god of all compassion of all pity that's the mercy here the mercy in other places for example uh, ephesians 2 you know about god who is rich in mercy that's a different mercy 
That's a mercy more connected directly with salvation. That's the equivalent of hesed. You often have that quoted to us um, from the Old Testament. This mercy of God, this loving kindness of God. Now that's more akin to that. It's a different word to this. This is pity, compassion. And of course it fits in with the context, doesn't it? Of comfort, consolation. This God, who, of whom uh, Paul says he's the God of all comfort, we need to know more about him because knowing more about him will bless us. Sadly, we know so little. You say, oh, well, I'm sure I know quite a bit. I read my Bible. Well, yes, don't we all? But how much depth do we know? about the Lord Jesus Christ, about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about something that has happened um, this week, actually, um, that brought something to mind. I'll just share it very simply to you, with you. Some years ago, more than 10 years ago, a lady in North London asked me to be an executor of her will. I was going to be co-executor with her grandson. I said, yeah, that's fine. And ten years pass, or more actually, and I forget all about it. And then suddenly, bang, she's dead. Ah. And now I've been called upon to be an executor of the will. Thankfully, the grandson is a very capable lad. And I've said, yeah, I don't mind if you want to carry on. You carry on. I'll just look you a nod, you know, yeah, that's fine. And he's doing all the work and as a solicitor. But what is interesting, and this is what I've come to an email I've, I've had, is that we're finding out now about this lady who was, uh, who was a widow and she invested very cleverly. Probably, I think she would, she, she would have been advised. Uh, she sought good advice, had good advice. And she's got this little vestment and, and she lived in a little property and, and all this now is suddenly coming to light. I thought, wow, this is great news for the beneficiaries of the will. And here's this little old lady, and she's going along, and hello, and some beneficiaries are neighbors, and some are Muslim relatives, and so on. And, uh, and they say, oh, the one, they look at her, oh, she's pleasant, yeah. And uh, now she's dead, and she's left them various things. Wow, they can have a big surprise. They can have a big surprise. Now, have the, see that spiritual application of that. If you knew how great God is. If you knew of the inheritance that is yours in Christ, wow! You'd say, is that all for me? Yes, it is. Can I have that? Yes, you can. You see, when Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8, and you know the verse well, you know, uh, and he speaks about, uh, about the spirit, and uh, he says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He conveys the truth to us uh, that we are actually belonging to, the ch to God. We're children of God by adoption. He's adopted us into his family, and we are now his. We're members of his family by faith in Christ. And this he goes on to say, and if children, then heirs. Right? We have an inheritance. Then heirs. Listen, and joint heirs 
with the apostles. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. Not in my Bible. Joint is with Christ. With Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together, and so forth. So what Paul is saying is this. Listen. Jesus is God's son. Only begotten son. Special, unique, and so on. But... As Jesus was a son, so all his people also are sons. Sons and daughters, if you prefer, but sons. And all that the Lord Jesus inherited is ours because we're part of the same family. Now, this is so big. You think, what are you saying? I'm just saying what the Bible says. You have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away for you. And some of the inheritance you can have now. Now. You haven't got to wait for it. Part of this inheritance, this, this dear lady's will, she's left um, some uh, money to a little family. And the parents will have it now. But the children will have to wait till they're 18. The trust fund and all that kind of stuff, which is very sensible. So there are some things you have to wait for. But there are other things we can have now. We can have an assurance of faith now. We can have a certainty now. We can enjoy these things now. You haven't got to wait for the pie in the sky when you die. You can have pasties now. Hallelujah. Now, when you know that, when you realize who this God is, when you realize all that he is and all he has for us in Christ, then when he talks about this God of all comfort, this is the God who is the God of all comfort. I know I quote it oft times, but it just comes to mind so often in these kind of contexts. Um, J.B. Phillips had a little book, I think it was a booklet, that said, your God is too small. Your God is too small. Your view of God is small. We need big views of God. Big views of God. And alas, because our views of God are so small, it affects us. Our worship is not as it should be. Our praying is not as it should be. Our living is not as it should be. Because we don't really believe in this great, glorious God, the God of, of the Bible. We say we do, but, you know, it doesn't work out. And if we do enjoy all that, sure, it must work out in our lives. So, this God of comfort, all comfort. Now, a few little careful, be careful with this. The word comfort is a lovely word. Who doesn't like to be comfortable? We all like to be comfortable. I'm sure in your house, as in my house, you have your chair in which you sit and you are comfortable. It's your chair. When the grandchildren come and they go to sit, their mother says, don't sit there because that's granddad's chair. Don't say you sit there because that's granny's chair. And there are other chairs that granny could sit on and granddad could sit on. He could sit on the floor. All right? But this particular chair is granddad's chair. It's his comfy chair. It's cozy. That's where he likes to sit. The end of the day, sit down, put his feet up. Have a cuppa. Oh, cozy. 
Now, this comfort of the Bible, this comfort of which Paul speaks in Corinthians 2, is not a comfy, cozy little thing. It's bigger than that. Because the context is bigger than that. The context is of a spiritual comfort in uncomfortable situations. We need to realize that God doesn't want us to have a little cozy time. That's not the God of the Bible. Some Christians want that. They don't want difficulty, they don't want trouble, they don't want persecution. They want a nice little cozy life. Well, as Paul was saying, the rest of Corinthians, he had anything but a cozy life. He could have stayed home and, and just read books and write, wrote letters. But as he went out there, boy, did he suffer. It was anything but cozy. Now, I find it interesting that this word comfort or comforter is used of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you know it well, and I'll read it to you in a moment, um, where the Spirit is described as the comforter. And the word can mean Consoler, counselor, it's a big word. It literally means uh, to call near. The, the, the inference is that he is someone to, you can call near to help you, near to aid you. It's the same word as in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where the Lord Jesus Christ is said to be our advocate with the Father. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's the same word, advocate, someone who speaks on your behalf. And in the Holy Spirit, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this comforter, this advocate. And when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, all right, he says this, Nevertheless, he's talking to his disciples, 16 verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In another place, he talks about the another comforter, like himself. So Jesus is a comforter, a consoler, an advocate, and when he goes, he will send another who will be the same or similar, a comforter, a consoler, an advocate. This comforter will come. The Holy Spirit is particularly designated as the comforter of the people of God. But here's a strange thing. Here's a strange thing. Having said that, you would think that the Holy Spirit would come and he would comfort you. He would say, there, there, it'll be all right. Don't worry, it'll be okay. Yeah, it'll all work out. There, there, there. He will comfort you. He's a comforter, so he will comfort you. But the irony almost is this, that when the Lord Jesus speaks about his coming as the comforter, the very first thing he says, he will make you uncomfortable. You say, hold on, I can't get my head around that. You tell me he's a comforter, but then when you tell, but then you're saying, when he comes, he'll make my life uncomfortable. Well, what kind of comforter is one who makes me uncomfortable? One who cares about you more than your initial 
comfort. Let me show you what I mean. So, Jesus says, uh, I will send the comforter to you. In the very next verse, chapter 16 of John, verse 8, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The first work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a man, of a woman, of a young person, the first work in the heart of a man is to make him uncomfortable. Because the first work of the Spirit is to convict you of your sin. You say, well, that's not very comforting. But it is, because it's essential. If you're not convicted of your sin, you'll never be convinced of a need of a savior. You don't go to the doctor unless you're unwell, most sensible people. There's something wrong, and there you go and say, what's wrong? You may not like what he says, but at least you're seeking an answer. And the Holy Spirit convicts us that we are sinners in the sight of a holy God. That's his work. He makes us feel uncomfortable. And there are people who have said they don't know their Bibles very well, and they come to a church, they hear the, uh, the preacher go on and on, and they say, oh, I don't know. He made me feel uncomfortable. Well, thank God he did. Because that's the work of the preacher of the gospel. That's the work uh, of the evangelist. That's the work of the pastor. That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Initially, to make you feel uncomfortable. You shouldn't be comfortable in your sin. You shouldn't be comfortable under the judgment of God. You shouldn't be comfortable resting in your own righteousness. You should be uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. That's what the Spirit does. And it's amazing the number of people have said, uh, they come for the first time, and uh, I don't like that. I don't like that man. I don't like that. I'm never going to go there again. Next Sunday, there they are. Well, I thought you were going to come again. Well, perhaps I thought I'd give him a second chance. And the same message is preached. And he feels even more uncomfortable. That's finally, I'm never going to ever go there again. Next week, he's back. What are you doing back? Perhaps there's a little bit of truth or something here, he says. And then the Lord deals with him. Oh, gloriously deals with him or her. And opens their eyes to see their need of a sinner. I know I've got to be careful with illustrations, particularly if they're medical. So this is a minor medical one, right? So don't worry about it. I went to the dentist. If, you, if you've got a thing about needles, you need to shut off now. I went to the dentist. And the dentist said, you need an injection to get your tooth out. I said, I don't need an injection to get my tooth out. I'm Welsh. I'm tough. Just pull it out. Um, and she said, OK. She pulled it out. And then she thought she saw a bit of the tooth left. So she said, you can have an injection. And she brought out this syringe with a needle that was about six inches long. It was huge. And, and she's going to stick it in my mouth. And I thought it was going to come out the other side. And I said, right, go on, go on, go on. She said, I've done it. Oh, you've done it? Yeah, I've done it. Oh, right, just wait a minute now. It'll, it'll go on. I was afraid of this. Come on, go up. 
But she did that. She made me feel uncomfortable because there was a bigger work, so she thought, she had to do. It was more important than my discomfort at the little pinprick. The Holy Spirit is so concerned for your soul. And if need be, he will bring conviction upon you that will be so uncomfortable that you will not be able to sleep. And we should pray that the work of the Spirit would do that work. The old Puritans have an expression, it may sound a bit strange to you, but they used to talk about the Holy Spirit as the heavenly hound. You know, here's this, this hound, uh, this hunting uh, hound dog that goes after the prey and we won't give up until it's finally got its prey. And the, the Puritans used to think, uh, speak of the Holy Spirit as going after us, uh, bringing God's elect hope. We wouldn't give up if God grabbed them as it were and brought them to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus so before there's a comforting work there must be a discomforting work so I ask you have you ever been discomforted have ever, you ever been made uncomfortable under preaching of the word I have to say to you uh, with as much love as in my heart as I have for you if you haven't been discomforted I doubt you're a believer I can't see anyone who's happy with their lot coming to Jesus why would you if everything's fine if you will hope to get to heaven by who you are what you are what you do well, why would you come to the saviour now Jesus said the thing they that are whole do not need a physician I've come to seek and to save that which is lost that's my mission. And that's what the Holy Spirit applies to the lost. Makes them aware of their lostness. Makes them aware of their need. We mentioned this a bit this morning. Uh, this man who has a need, not himself, but his son. There's a need that brings us to Jesus. And the Spirit makes us uncomfortable. And so convicts us and convinces us of the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ he died as a substitute for sin for all who believe and trust in him. He is there to be no substitute. That's the first word. It means he takes the punishment of their sins in himself, in his body, upon him, and he suffers the wrath of God on our behalf. And it's the Spirit who makes that clear to us. It's the Spirit, Spirit that opens our eyes to us. As a little lad, uh, and we used to sing, there is a green hill far away uh, without a city wall, outside a city wall. I thought he meant it didn't have a city wall. But I was just silly. All right? But there's a green hill far away without a city wall, where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. Now, I sang that. I didn't understand it. But he meant that Jesus died, okay? And that was fine. Didn't mean anything to me. But then the Spirit worked. And the Spirit convinced me that when he died, Sinners. He died for me. I was personally involved. For me, he died. For me, he rose. And it meant that I had to come as a sinner to the Savior. So he worked that work in my heart. So I ask you tonight Have you been discomfort? Made uncomfortable? Oh, are things fine? Things fine. How is it with your soul? Oh, fine. On what basis do you say that? Well, 
And you name all the things upon that basis because you're this and you're that. You go to church, you, you're, a good, you're a good husband, a father, a good son, whatever. And all these things. And them a hundred thousand times can bring you into the kingdom. Only trusting in Christ and Christ alone can bring you into the kingdom. And you can go from being uncomfortable, discomforted, and you can know the comfort that comes from being Christ. That's the ultimate in Christ, in Christ alone. So, says the Apostle, the God of all comfort. Final question, I'm going to close that in a minute. Do you know the comfort of God in salvation in your hearts? Simple question. I'm not too sure. No, I don't think you do then. Because one of the great things that God does when he comforts the soul in salvation and gives us an assurance of salvation. Now, you may lack that assurance, but you have actually trusted. But seek the assurance. Ask God to make it certain to you. Do you know the comfort of resting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, for eternity, for heaven? This God of all comfort has so much for you in Christ, but it's in Christ and it's in Christ alone and it's only for those who are in Christ. It's not for anybody else. There may be terrible blessings in the in the common grace of God. God is so good to us in so many ways. But these special blessings, the blessings of salvation, of forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, all that is reserved for those and only those who are in Christ and trust in him as their Savior. May the God of all comfort bless us even tonight for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word been just but a brief introduction but we thank you that the Bible says you are the God of all comfort consolation and that's in and through and because of the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah glad us to see that we who know him as saviour to see it to rejoice in it go forth in the light of it in the strength of it day by day, whatever it may bring on the morrow, through the week, that you are the God of all comfort. Comfort us, Lord, we pray. Comfort us in difficult times. Comfort us. Draw near to us. Comfort us. Comfort us. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Father, if there are any who as yet do not know the comfort of God, then make them even more uncomfortable don't give them rest. Don't give them peace. Don't give them sleep. Until they close with Christ. Until they come and bow the knee to him. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, we have a lovely hymn to finish. And it's 601. 601. I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. 
and round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever. For I am his, and he is mine, forever and forever. Amen. 601.